This is Chucked, and I'm Austin Charles, and Charles Braxton is still out. He's not uh, in Hilton Head, so he's just out. He's back. He's, he's back, but he's, but he's not back at Chucked. He's going to adjust it to so, that So um, hopefully you uh, recognize the uh, sultry, uh, nasal congested voice. Uh-huh. <laughs> Late next night. to me late night voice little guy of. Fleming has a uh, has a bit of a cold a little bit a but little bit. it gives you a good radio voice so it, like you, late night DJ yeah right yeah, it has, a, has a little gravel in it and it's it sounds good it's weird man I'm just ready for spring to get here man just switching mm-hmm. back and forth mm-hmm. um, yeah just trying to survive to spring but Absolutely. it's not even that bad it's just yeah you know, I woke up and I feel like man where did my voice go mm. so yeah but yeah we'll do a it's the, sultry. the the cost of living with a what, one year old, one and a half year old, <laughs> yeah, one and a half year old, yeah. And, yeah. yeah, six and eight, yeah, yeah, it's just a germ factory. So you get over one of them, and it's like another one <laughs> on to the next one. My goodness, uh, Gunner comes home from school and says, Dad, look what I brought home from school. What'd you bring me home? A uh, strep throat, oh, awesome, great. right? Thank yeah, you. fantastic, Thank you. yeah, that keeps on giving, mm-hmm. yeah, but it is nicer out today. I mean, it's it is Wednesday, it's I don't know what date it is, but it's Wednesday is when we usually record, and it's nice and it's sunny out, and uh, so yeah, there's some hope for us. Right. There's going to be some, some spring hope. this week, yeah. I believe. Yeah. What so, uh, What went on in the sports world this week? The Masters. We had the Masters, that. right? Yeah. Who were you Who were you pulling for in the Masters? My Louisville kid, man, Justin Thomas. Um, mm. Didn't do as well as I'm sure he hoped he would have done, but uh, it was exciting. Like I told you, man, it would have been incredible to have um, that last day the pairings of, you know, um, Spieth in there, and mm-hmm. I was hoping for Justin and. You know, Rory, you've got Fowler, and it'd been cool to have Tiger or Phil right there with mm-hmm. them, but mm-hmm. it's pretty abundantly clear that that <laughs> wasn't going to happen Spieth on Saturday. Hell around, though. My right, gosh, Sunday? Oh, my geez. gosh. I mean, he's yeah, it was a record, He tied right? the course record? Well, I thought for a Sunday, he set the record for a for Sunday, Sunday but yes, he tied like the lowest mm-hmm. round. That was unbelievable. That's, that's cool. Yeah, so it was, it was, it was exciting to mm-hmm. watch. I thought... You know, that Patrick Reed, I thought he was going to come out. You watched the first two holes because I was watching, flipping between that and some other things. And he came out of those first two holes. I believe, I think he bogeyed both of them. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Sunday's yeah. going to get him. Yeah. But then he responded. And as we saw, it played out. His finish, I, it's incredible that this, that's so fascinating that how he finished that. Uh, I was talking to, um, the huge golf fan, Todd the Fox Moss. A yeah, lot of you know Todd him the from the shoeless drummer and guitarist on stage. <laughs> Beards and Blazers. Beards and Blazers, right. Todd. Uh, also, Yosef. <laughs> Yosef, uh, right. Oh, come, oh, come is his. Yes, he's still his, singing it through the halls. His number one hit. <laughs> um, but uh, I was, he's a huge, he's a great golfer, Todd yep. is, and a huge golf fan. And I was talking with him, and we were texting after the Masters. And it's 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 almost more remarkable to me that, you know, the way Patrick Reed had to finish in order to win was just a par. He just needed to get out in the out in the fairway, get onto the green, right. two putt. Right. To me, that's almost harder than because you have to. It's you're not like you're playing aggressively to right. to get a birdie, but you just have to par. Right. Two putt. And you have the right. scoreboard staring in your face <laughs> that you that it's right. that, that only that doesn't say go and get this. It says don't go and lose this. Yes. Don't blow this. <laughs> that's incredible. And right off the box, that, that last hole, you got that you got you know the trap down there on the right side. And I think in the interview, and I share that with you with that article about his family. And we can get into later if we want. Um, his dad will say, "Man, I'm just saying, hey, just just avoid that set, the the trap. Avoid the trap. He put it right said, over. Right, he, he did. It right he's over. He's like, it. man, as soon as that landed, he's like, okay, I think mm-hmm. we got this. Yeah. But yeah, that was fun. NBA playoffs are starting. 
Which uh, all the petty drama should start up soon. We got Donovan <sighs> Mitchell and Ben Simmons with right. the rookie of the year. <laughs> the petty shirt, wars. Right. The pettiness the of the amazing. NBA is amazing. I love it. You got Braun going into uh, dark mode, right? Yeah, zero yeah, dark third, zero, zero dark, dark twenty three. Right, right. Yeah. Twenty three. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's going to be off social media. Yeah. starting now, I believe. Right, start averaging forty five, thirteen, oh and seventeen gosh. or something. Man, how did we talk about uh, that yesterday? Isn't it incredible about him? Fifteen years in, it's the first time wired 82, to wire. Eighty two, eighty two. Gosh, yeah, yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. This keeps getting stronger, mm-hmm. and better, faster, yeah. bigger. Uh, well, yeah, well, I know we're both biased on that, but yeah, but you know, it is as we were talking about yesterday. Um, it is remarkable that I've always thought that he's the best in-game dunker, as I told you mm. in the league in the league history. Mm. Even above Dr. J or Jordan or Carter, right. um, I think he's. If you look at the, if you are the kind of person that will spend thirty watching a 30, 30 minute YouTube clip of LeBron's dunks, <laughs> like I am, right. you'll see like just how he's he's basically dunked on every notable big man ever to right. have ever played in the last fifteen years. He's got a checklist at and home, dunked bad on him, you know. <laughs> um, and it's a, what's amazing to me is, as I said yesterday, was um, that some of the best dunks in his career the best dunking career of all time have been this year. I mean, oh. his poster against uh, the Blazers. And mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, it seems like every game he does something that's crazy that shows his, he's actually somehow getting younger and right. older. That's it's unbelievable. Amazing. Unbelievable. Amazing. I love it. Career love high it. in assists this year. I think yeah. a career high in rebounds and um, his highest scoring average since 09. So that's, that's amazing. But, um, but you had some ideas for, for today, possibly yeah, yeah, asking yeah, yeah, yeah. me the question. I'm usually I'm the interrogator right, right, right. in are, this with are. guests or with with uh, with Uncle Chuck. But but right. this, the, I, I get to switch chair, chairs and um, yeah, we're. And, I'm gonna get to that. We have to talk about something you've been oh. you've been super excited about. You were excited about a quiet place. Ooh, Ooh, you know, yeah, we had to talk yeah, about that, man. Yeah, we have to talk yeah. about, you know, we saw that Friday. Quiet Place starring John Krasinski right? and Emily Blunt. Right. We yeah. have to talk about that because mm-hmm. you were super pumped about that. I saw the preview a while ago and was kind of like, oh, I'm curious about this. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of great reviews, highly rated movie, um, you know. And so, yeah, we went Friday, right? And mm-hmm. my gosh, it lived up to it for sure. How how I, how I, I just, just should say how I got there. So I'm at... <laughs> Chipotle with my wife and son, and then I somehow I don't know what happened, and, I, and I'm, I'm I'm taking that it's my responsibility. I'm taking the blame for this, but oh, this I did something or said something or my attitude suggested something that <laughs> I got in a fight with my wife, great. and so it got to be this weird miscommunication of like that that um, ballooning silence and tension, and somehow on another or another. She wanted to go to Target, and she was going to drop me off at home first since we were in the car together. But I thought of, well, I know Fleming and Tyler are going to the 2 o'clock quiet place. (laughs) So I said, so uh, basically, my wife and I got in a fight, and so she dropped me off at the movie theater and left. That's great. And I was so I ruined a happy uh, home. Yeah, <laughs> it turned out okay. We're still married. We're still good. All right. But yeah, anyway, yeah. that's how I ended up. You in the definitely theater outpunted is, your coverage there for sure. <laughs> that's how I ended up in the theater. Is, a, is a, my wife leaving me at Dayton South movie theaters? <laughs> and uh, but I had a great time. I was able to yeah, shake the dust off my feet <laughs> and move on. Powered through it. And yeah. Yeah. What a great movie. But then I saw a movie what about a movie. in quite a quiet place about sacrificial love. Mm. Mm. 
I guess somehow poignantly came for me. Um, But with John Kaczynski, it's about sacrificial love. It's uh, it's not a horror movie like it was publicized. It's definitely a suspense thriller. Yeah, some really great jumps that Mm -hmm. are so So twisted together that makes you laugh almost. That's it's so spooky. But um, would you say eight? Would you say eighty five percent of that movie is just in silence? Yeah, there are ninety lines of dialogue. It's unbelievable. This is what I read. I think that adds to it Mm -hmm. so much. That suspense. Yeah. The sound effects here and there, the you know the 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 timing of the sounds and all that stuff. You know, it's, I think job. it's also a movie about about blame and shame within the dynamics of family, yeah, of, of feeling absolutely. guilt and this right. blaming. But you know, there's love and there's also blame and guilt. Right. You know, and and sometimes we feel like those things can't coexist and I guess maybe theoretically they can't. However, um, scripturally they can't, but we still feel feelings of love right. for someone when we also feel blame towards them. Like and tug of war that's going on. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah, and it was, it was a fantastic movie. But the, as the, as the, as the gospel and as a quiet place, both suggest, um, sacrificial love mm-hmm. is what wins mm-hmm. in the end. Right. And, uh, I would encourage anyone to see it. Yeah. We can handle that for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so yeah, let's jump into this. Let's, mm-hmm. So you know, you do a lot of this, you and your dad, and I think a lot of questions are out there. For me, I have an interesting perspective on this, uh, on this question because you know most people know, but obviously if they don't. I don't know where they've been. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you're a preacher's kid, mm-hmm. right? You grew up, uh, your dad in, in ministry and, and serving Southbrook for as long as he has. Um, and you and I was curious. Okay, I thought, man, what if we talk a little bit about that for our, for our listeners, for our chucksters out there? Chuckles. Um, chuck- <laughs> 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 uh, I was thinking of it last night. Maybe a Hulksters. Like the chucksters. <laughs> um, and that. So you grew up as a PK, mm-hmm. which is a shortened form. Uh, if anybody out there is curious, <laughs> hard to decipher. Um, and I. You know, obviously, I'm going to be raising. I'm raising three kids, which are going to be PKs, mm-hmm. and so I was curious. All right, so like, just a couple questions out of that. That I know a lot of people probably wonder, like, what's that like? Mm-hmm. Um, the microscope you're under, mm-hmm. if if that's accurate, if that's true. Did you, you know, did you feel that way as you were growing up? Like I had, you know, we talked about it. The question of, you know, if anyone that doesn't know this about Oz, Oz was one heck of a basketball player. Um, you know, I've known Oz for a very long time. I got to watch him play, and it was just, you know, again, just... The first time we met was at a game when I was 10 years old. A little tyke. Yeah. You know, the first time the I first did. Time so met. our yeah. connection is my wife, um, Elizabeth Wilkins Fleming, um, obviously has been a part of the McMahon household for a very long time, babysat mm-hmm. you guys as a, uh, as, you know, Three, four, guys. five years old. Yeah. Yeah. And so when we started dating, I would come up here to, you know, date and hang out, you know, go to church, and then... You know, the families were tight, so we'd go and watch this little kid running around playing basketball. And I was kind of like, why am I here? <laughs> I'm watching this kid play basketball. But, you know, I love this woman, so let's do this. Mm-hmm. But little did I know that that man, you know, Oz has always said like a little brother that I love the kid, love the family. They've been so much to me and important to me. Um, it's been great to watch you grow. But, man, you know, the apple doesn't fall from far from the tree with, you mm-hmm. know, your dad's abilities and the abilities that you have as an athlete. So my question was, you know, we love sports. We talk about sports. I played basketball, but I didn't have this feeling of, man, and I don't know if you did. That's the question I'm going to ask. 
that when I play basketball, I always talk, share about my story that, man, you know, I grew up, I was in a Christian household. Uh, faith was very important to my parents, and we were at church all the time. Last family, last family in the lobby, many a weekends talking with everybody. And for me, playing basketball, I didn't have this in the background of who my dad was or a preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but my faith wasn't as important to me as it was my parents. So mm-hmm. like I, I say it all the time when I talk to our students that I was a I was a bad example for the gospel on the basketball floor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so let's let's talk about that a little bit. What is it first of all? What was it like for you first of all just growing up mm-hmm. in a house uh, as your dad being a preacher but also, you know, Southbrook and where it is, the, just the multitude of people that this church is um, brought that message of hope and love and forgiveness to you, but those people seeing you grow up, mm-hmm. what, is that, what has that been like for you? Um, is it even any, anything, is it even anything to it? You know, some people assume that it's so much different. Absolutely. Right. If, had I grown up with a father that, that was an accountant, it would have, it would have had a huge influence on me. So certainly in a place that's such and uh, growing up in a culture that is so polarizing, that is a, and uh, you know, uh, people don't go to the hospital because they're well, right? right? So right. Um, people don't go to church because they're spiritually and emotionally and relationally fit right. or morally fit. This is a place for sick people. So first I definitely didn't have a sheltered childhood. If anything, I had, um, a more R-rated childhood than a secular home um, because I was, um, number one, uh, a lot of my weekends, uh, my memories from weekends of my childhood was around death because I accompanied my dad at funerals, which I enjoyed doing, but um, many kids didn't grow up around death. I did. Um, A lot of families close to me um, were... um, of different degrees of relational closeness were wrecked by, uh, sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. So I grew up around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up around, um, the, uh, yeah, the, um, the micro celebrity that was my dad and that every restaurant we went to someone, um, knew him and knew me not by my name, but right. by, um, whose son I was. Um, but I've also, you know, there's, it's been said that being a, a, a pastor's kid of a mega church is like being the church mascot. And I, I, I think I, I sympathize with that. Right. I would take it as, I think that's, that's from a public point of view. I think, I don't know, from an emotional point of view, um, being a pastor's kid of a mega church is like I've tried to, th- I've had 27 years to think what that's like <laughs> and the best, the best scenario I can come up with, with, with what it's like, what it would be like is, um, like a celebrity that had a sex tape leak, um, out in public of them and that your most vulnerable self is the first thing people think about and imagine when they meet you. Um, you at your most vulnerable or you at your worst, you at your lowest is what um, people lived with you um, almost a, um, like a, uh, but at a distance, almost like as a, um, like, as a, at a like a petting zoo of some sort. Um, so I think that's one, and you get used to that. Like, you know, that, that people are thinking about certain things when, and you just, you know, maybe that's why I have a, 
of a, a, a better, that I'm very good at not caring what people think was one, one thing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, part of that comes from I, growing up, I did really care what people think. And then I just stopped giving a shit about people <laughs> and about um, what they thought of me because it was too much work. And so I really don't care about people and what they think of me. And um, so I, there's pros that come with that, but yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the best way I've, I've been able to describe being a preacher's kid is, um, is the vulnerability and the naked, the, the sheer nakedness of, uh, of it all the time. And now I, and also it was a big decision coming back to work here because, um, when you're, when you're at a place long enough, you know, you, there's not a lot, a lot of places you can hide. And, um, mm-hmm. it's why I res- have such respect for someone like Paul Wilkins, your father-in-law yeah. who was doing ministry in the same place that saw him go through puberty and get drunk and wreck cars right. Right. and destroy relationships. And now he's planted his roots and stayed there. And so for me, I, I, I that's why I came back is that, um, I wanted to be that kind of man. Um, every day working in this place, I have deep emotional childhood resentments thrown in my face that I have to deal with every day. And, um, and, and I don't say that as a matter of virtue. I just say that as this is what I chose. And I believe I'm a better man because of that. That would be my next question because man, the pressures that you might not feel that, but it's just unrealistic what people, how people view not only the preacher, but the preacher's kids, like this view of, we hear this man talk every weekend. How does this play out in his family? Mm-hmm. Like, let's watch closely as his kid grows up. Mm-hmm. Is he walking the straight and narrow perfectly? Mm-hmm. Um, is he well disciplined and respect his uh, his elders and, and love? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. just ridiculous. Like that's one of my biggest things that I harp on is just the the how people elevate people in ministry and put them on this pedestal that God never intended to be there and those and those people those pastors do not want to be there because it's just we're all the same we're all walking mm-hmm. um, broken lives we just have something to, to talk about that mm-hmm. we just have that that glue that fixes that brokenness right of Christ yeah. and that's all we're talking about that we all walk with the same thing we all struggle uh, please do not elevate us, and please do, please do not elevate my family. Mm-hmm. Please do not look at well, that. Well, that's the right? thing that people forget about, like Charlie, is that he is not in the business of promoting his personal life. He's in the business of promoting the good news of Jesus Christ. Right. Right. Far different thing. Right. Far right. different thing. But that's what we One do is as slightly humans, more capable right? than the other. Right. Yeah. That's what we tend to do as humans, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're going to watch and see, okay, let's mm-hmm. analyze every move that young Austin makes. Mm-hmm. That's um, why a lot of times I didn't, I didn't feel so sorry and, you know, beat myself up too bad because I realized it was just, it was primarily out of the ignorance and incompetency of others, people that attended Southbrook that <laughs> was the right. hardship of growing up. Like, so I'm just not going right. to give ignorant people the, <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah, the, um, that kind of power. Because right. they all want to cling to something like practical because, and that's what I always say that every weekend your dad and others teach, here's here's how to live practically. It's mm-hmm. right here in this book. Yeah. Follow this. Well, unfortunately for the majority of people, it's like, well, that's good and all, but I need to see something physically. And here's you walking. Yeah. Here's, here's, you know, I could see your, your dad parenting. I get to see mm-hmm. this kid like... And instead, the, the lie is that we want to look to that instead of reminding ourselves of, of the good book, right? And all. And, yeah, and, and, and it's, it, yeah, my life, how it's come to this point is a testament to the first and foremost, Jesus Christ. Secondly, the people that raised me, the Charlies and Sherry's and Paul's and John's and Kathy's and, you know, and, and those kinds of people. And um, so, 
I, so going to, you know, relating to my dad, I would say my life, and I, I don't mean this, I mean this honestly, not um, uh, in an arrogant way. My life is a testament to, I'm a very well-adjusted human being. I'm capable of resentments and fears and they and those controlling me, which I thanks to the twelve steps know how to handle, but yeah. I'm a very well adjusted human being. I thanks to the people and the way they raised me, I was able to overcome addiction and alcoholism and um the fact that I'm in present tense and alcoholic currently, um and also simultaneously uh, the son of a mega church pastor. Yeah. Um is is testament not to the way in which they raised me that there is individuality in the context of father and son mm-hmm. that um there's already enough natural enmeshment and we certainly battled that but um you know they they allowed me to find my my way you know and um and I and they ultimately had greater trust in their in their lord than they did in their um competency as a parent absolutely absolutely and you brought that up, and I know most people know your story, um, that you've done the 12 steps and recovery and your past. My question would be on that. <clears throat> Do you think that being raised and the environment you were raised and how all the eyes were on you, do you think that had any effect in kind of your brokenness uh, and going off the path? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, um because you already brought up the resentment, because that was going to be one of my questions. Mm-hmm. Do you resent church? Do you re- like the physical? Yeah, I, I not 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 necessarily Christ and that, but like this aspect of things mm-hmm. as we sit here in Southbrooks. Yeah, the, yeah, those are two good questions. That I do resent Southbrook, and I resent its people. I think for as long as I'm around here, there will feel like an ownership of me that the people have in a sense because I'm this mascot, like the way I feel right. some sort of right. pride and ownership over Brutus the Buckeye. <laughs> like that's my mascot; <laughs> he's mine. You know, like yeah. um, when I see Brutus running across the right. field, I You're feel like, proud. Like ah, there he is. That totally a boy. Feel that way, and that's you what's know? cool. And I'll say this right now. It is kind of the cool thing too, because as you're in, you know, in the atrium on the weekend, I totally think not only do you have a message that is resounding with those who've gone through recovery, mm-hmm. and that you're a beacon of hope, hope, but others that um, come in and just say, "Hey, there's awesome," you know that. Well, you know, suffering does produce perseverance, and perseverance character, character, <clears throat> hope, and that. And I would so I'm, on many weekends, I'm pastor on call and have been for the last number yeah. of years, and to me, I feel like a piece of meat being dangled over the side of a boat with a great white. I'm swimming underneath it. That's what I feel. It feels like because I'm just standing out there accepting anyone to come talk to me. Right. And that, for me, an introvert who feels re- immediate resentment when I feel like someone, I'm responsible for someone or someone needs something from me or wants something from me. Yeah. Instant resentment. And so putting myself in that position um, has produced in me, thanks to the Gospels, um, a better character because I. Um, because I take that into, um, I mean, every time, you know, not, you know, what I can learn from Jesus and what I've learned to, with those resentments is um, so many times before a crowd came to Jesus, Jesus or Jesus was in some sol- some solitude and someone then wanted something from him, asked something for him, then medically, um, philosophically, uh, religiously, um, n- we're going to draw something from him. There was, there's always this, in some way or another, this phrase of Jesus welcomed them. Right. And uh, that's what I've tried to adopt to um, not just be void of resentments within this place that is a constant relapsing in resentments every 
time I have a conversation with someone. Um, but um, to to welcome them, and as as Jesus said, to welcome the suffering and to welcome, um, because uh, extrovert. Situations are truly suffering for me. <laughs> I, I, I feel like no suffering. Right, right. I'm I'm carrying my cross. <laughs> Absolutely. But I've learned to, to to right. as a as a as a first step to learning. I'm not good at loving people, and I'm trying to get better. But that has mm-hmm. that has been my first stage in adulthood of learning how to love people. Is to you know what Jesus welcomed them. So damn it, I'm right. going to welcome people. Right. right. Let the kids come to me. Let the children come mm-hmm. to me. Right. Yeah. Um. As that plays out in that narrative. Um. It's funny. So, okay, so we know competition. We know basketball and how, how demanding that is just in, in, in the realm of sports itself. Mm-hmm. What is that like? What is playing basketball for Springboro High School? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the, the demands of that in itself. Mr. Troy Holtree, a great coach, mm-hmm. played for him. Um, what is it like playing competitive basketball on that level? With, oh my gosh, with the history of your father, mm-hmm. but also knowing I'm playing basketball this week. Does this change any? And my question is, does this change anything? But my dad is teaching this weekend at, at mm-hmm. Southbury. You know what I mean? Like, does that yeah. have anything? Does that well, play you know, um, if you were, if you'd ask like a, uh, I don't know, uh, if you were to ask the color blue what it's like being blue, I mean, it doesn't, I don't know. It's I've normal. never been red. Right. I've never been green. <laughs> Yeah, right? so like I never so growing up until I reached like the an, an age of of uh, an age of real reason and an age of uh, when I began to self actualize, mm. um, I never. I mean, it, it, I felt no it was normal, right? right. It was um, you know, it wasn't until you get to your your you know your early adult years and like everyone does, and not just preachers, but everyone mm. uh, it was holy shit. This is <laughs> like. This is weird, you know. I need to yeah. get get away from here as quickly as possible, and you know, employ the psychological, you know, age of uh, differentiation, um, and let that take its natural course. But um, as far as athletics, I think I mean the one error that 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 I believe that was that um, that my dad would admit to, and um, is I was it was ingrained in me so thoroughly to never the the greatest error I could make to me was to not be tough was to, to be timid and to hold back. Hmm. And, and, and so it was ingrained in me to this competitiveness, even at the sake of um, fighting with my dad um, uh, and, and, and others, um, was, was in my mind held above all. That was, that was of, of, of utmost importance. So um, if there's one error is that, um, is that I was taught to play mad or I was perceived that more caught than taught. So I was taught competitiveness. However, as a eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old, I don't, I don't, I didn't know competitor. I didn't, I didn't have Jesus, the right, competitor like series yet right, right, to where, right. what competition that actually was. When you tell there, me, yeah. when you tell a 13 year old, a 16 year old boy who as a, as a girl might be prone to emotional outbursts of sorrow or tears a, a teenage boy will be prone to emotional right. outbursts of anger Angst. that's where <laughs> right. for no reason right. just he'll just be mad right. he'll just be totally pissed off his head so when you tell me to play mad not be tim and not hold back um play with with rage um i only knew one way to do that and i still only know one way to do that um and i'll learn but um so i think that was that was one thing that was was difficult but it never it didn't come from I should, I've never really had a, a sense of a, a need to, to put on as, um, 
as um, the Carl Jung persona, you know, of like um, of, of some of some sorts in that in that realm. I have in other sorts, certainly as anyone, but um, I never feel it. My dad and mom were so transparent that I, there was nothing yeah. to hold yeah. up. Um, but I did, you know, reach an age when I was about 16 was when at that, at that point I was just so sick of caring what people thought. Yeah. And it was so hard going into this prison sentence every day at practice where everyone hated me. Uh, I broke four teeth because of fights. Right, right. Um, coaches didn't, coaches singled me out to, um, tell me how bad they thought I was, um, and so uh, I just started saying, I'm just not going to give a shit anymore. And I decided that I would thug everyone I, I could. And so in the last couple of years of basketball, um, anyone that was smaller than me, anyone I, I sensed timid or meek or incapable on on the court, I mean, I was 6'1", 185 pounds of, of um, potentially Division One muscle. And so I sought out um, trying to... Uh, yeah, in my mind, thug everyone I could because I was raised up in this kind of error, error of um, play mad. So I did, and and um, I got thrown out a lot of our practices and a lot of a lot of games. And um, but that's all I that's all I was really taught was just to play mad. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I was curious about that because I think it's funny because you said you know like that is the norm of what, how you played and how you grew up, that it didn't seem any different to you. And I think it's another one of those things of misconceptions that people think, uh, being a preacher's kid, that everything's so much different, like mm -hmm. for you, even on the, the competitive stage, that you know a preacher's kid is walking, not only p trying to be competitive, it's a duality of my, my, my dad leads a church, so I have to be very mindful of how I play, that mm -hmm. I gotta look like Jesus yeah, on the floor. Like I think everybody thinks that way. That you're constantly walking, kind of with this cross that you might, you have to bear. That man, I got to make sure. Not only do I want to compete well, but um, mm -hmm. my actions need to reflect well, not only on me but my dad and our family at all times. I think it's yeah. like kind of what people tend to think. Uh, and, I, and I also think for me, it wasn't so like thought, like cognitive, like all that. Mm -hmm. I think it was also just a, a lot of survival. Um, it was, I very much felt, I remember like I was like 14, I was in a varsity practice at Springboro and uh, every day after every practice, um, this guy named Simone, freshman coach, obviously resented that I wasn't on the freshman team, mm -hmm. would just, would just walk with the whole the whole from the from the court to the locker room, which is probably about a, I don't know, a seventy-five yard walk, the whole way almost after every practice would just go on and on about how bad I was that day and how bad yeah. he thought I was, how bad of a basketball player, how I shouldn't be where I was. Right. And I remember telling my dad about this, and he's and and I remember one time he said, well, he mu he must have had a reason for you saying that. And at that point, I just kind of thought, you know what, I'm on my own here, huh. so I'm going to start swinging at everyone I can. Um, because if everyone else is telling me I'm on my own, then I'll start acting like I'm on my own. It's not out of anger. It's not out of like rebelling. Right. But what I'm getting from people is that, um, you know, the, I mean, the church was nearly falling apart at that point too, and 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 a lot of other things. So uh, I didn't feel like I could call upon anyone else for help. But um, but yeah, you know, I um, I just it was a bit of not so like uh, um, like there wasn't so much reason behind it as there was, I just need to survive. And, um, if, you know, if, if I'm getting double teamed then I'm going to swing my way out of it and yeah. instead of, you know, Christian my way out of it, right. you know? Interesting. Yeah. I just, I just thought, you know, we talked yesterday. I just thought there's a lot of 
people that are probably curious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we could spend, you know, many of Chuck's on this, on just this subject, because I think it's fascinating. I think people mm-hmm. are curious. Obviously, I'm, I'm going to be a father of three preacher's kids, so mm-hmm. I'm always mindful of that. Like, I don't know if it's maybe overcompensating, but like... You know, the preacher's kids are the ones you see around the hallways almost all the time. When the doors are open, they're there until mm-hmm. the doors are closed. Um, and it's a thing. Many of articles have been written about them. Many mm-hmm. of articles on how to, you know, best kind of navigate those times because, you know, you, at the end of the day, you want to protect your kids, mm-hmm. right? You want to, you want people, <laughs> you try to steer people of these false realities or how they think and these expectations and pressures that, you know, as you grow up, I know we've had discussions where you said, I didn't at at times I didn't ask for this, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't ask for this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my, my kids really didn't either. And so all I know how to do is, is parent and the way uh, of, of the way Christ would lead, lead kids and the way he led his, his disciples the same way I would do with my kids. But also it's like, I totally, I'm totally aware of how often my kids are here. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I try to tell Elizabeth and I talk all the time. It's like, man, my kids would be here every service, every, every waking moment. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, do I let that happen? Like, it's crazy. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want that to happen. I want them to grow up and resent it. Like I'm only here because my parents made me be, made me come, which I don't try to do that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, I quite, you know, you have this thing and then I question that maybe I should be for, you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's a crazy thing. Um, but it's a wonderful blessing of what we do, uh, but it's definitely something that's constantly in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know from others in ministry and friends, and, and I know you, that's something that's in the back of our minds as, we raise up another generation of yeah. PKs. So I just thought it would be an interesting uh, discussion to have and see what it was like for you. Uh, mm-hmm. If I can glean stuff not only for myself, but others out there that, man, just just don't elevate. Just don't put the kids yeah. and, and the families up on that pedestal. You're just setting yourself up for failure for you and for others. And no one's asked for that, that... You know, Christ didn't call us in the ministry to elevate us. The only reason we're, we are... Um, worthy of the calling is because Christ called us first. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no worth there outside of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Like the only reason that we have been called and we have anything to say is because of Christ. Um, and that we walk with with struggles like everyone else, that we have struggles in parenting and in our own lives and that we try to cling to the cross and everything that we do, but we know the difference the cross makes and so that's why we talk about it. And mm-hmm. we know how to read scripture and, and kind of exhort that. Um, to others, and that's that's the only difference. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, but I think it's a very real question that people have on a daily basis. What's it like being Austin McMahon, Jordan McMahon, uh, mm-hmm. the kids of Charlie and Sherry? Um, and that righteousness comes from others. It never came from that. I think that's why. Um, frankly, why did I not die, or why am I back here? Why, why did it seemingly work out? Um, because my parents were competent people and they knew they weren't full of themselves. Frankly, it's not the kids' problems and a lot of um, uh, family dynamics that go wrong. It's uh, the the parents are full of themselves, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, why are there teen pregnancies? Uh, as you know, uh, as, uh, as Jordan Peterson said, why do we need even abortions to begin with? It's because parents don't know how to raise girls and don't know how to raise boys. Therefore, they have to touch each other and figure it out. 
I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's a parent's problem. It's, it's on them, this, this problem of, of, uh, of, of so many, pro- anyway. Um, my parents, they were competent. They, they let me, they, there were things they didn't give me, but there were things they gave me. They gave me a love for reading. Yeah. So I knew how to find my way back to God right. when I had gone my furthest away. Um, they gave me the uh, examples of the Spirit. They gave me transparency. This righteousness came from others. It never came from them, as I said. It, it, um, uh, why did I feel like I didn't have to act a certain way in public as I did in my home? Well, that's because my dad acted the same way in home as he did yeah. in, uh, in, in, in public. You know, I mean, it was, you know, there was, there was no reason to. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I just thankfully had competent parents that, um, you know, I was predisposed to um, reckless, self-destructive behavior, and that has nothing. I mean, yeah, that, that, it probably has more to do with the church than this this place of sick people, where <laughs> sick people come to get well, than right. than it has to do with just um, them having messed up. Because I don't think they did. I think it just embodies well because there's so many, you know, in my times in ministry and people asking how should I raise my kids or you got any advice as me and student ministry and things like that. I said, well, you know, at the end of the day, you know living out the faith is what's important. Like, yes, impressing upon them and teaching them is, is important, mm-hmm. but the way you walk and the way you act is far more important than the words you spew. Mm-hmm. Um, and that no matter how perfect you think you do it, um, your kids have their own free will themselves, that mm-hmm. they're going to grow up and maybe despite all the things you've said or lived out, they're still going to choose a path for themselves that might not be God-honoring to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's why I was pulling up Proverbs twenty two six, which is a great which is a great axiom, right, from Solomon. That you know, I'll read for those that train up a child in the way he should go, he or she should go, even when he or she is old, he will not depart from it, mm-hmm. right. So that's all we can do as parents, and I mm-hmm. think your parents did that well. That no matter no matter what, at the end of the day, we are establishing the gospel in their hearts, the way to live that out uh, Mm -hmm. of Jesus and the difference he's made and how he wants us to love and to live this life of obedience and, and and glorify him in all that we do. At the end of the day, once you become of age, you might decide, no, I'm not, that's not what I want for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, But you put it perfectly that they established these things in you that the only way I would say that you made it through that and came out of it was it brought you back Mm-hmm. To reading scripture, to reading, uh, reading about just Jesus and the impact He's made on your life, and just studying that. And because I would say, and I think I don't think you would argue with that, but the foundation that your parents laid for you, right? Yeah, that's all we can do is lay a. If they, I, I, I've never really asked them this. I, you made me think of it, but I bet the prayer they prayed for me, me most was that I would know God, mm-hmm. and. Um, and that's what I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, gosh, I'm going to, you know, screw up Gunner and, you know, and I know that, like, you know, um, <laughs> I feel, I feel you there, you know, I, you know, but I, I know my prayers that the spirit would be with him, that the, the great counselor would be with him as Jesus left it to be with us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is my prayer for him because I, that's what my parents did. And that's why I, um, I mean, within the spirit there, as we're learning through this series, there's, there's ways to, I don't know if I ever really like lost lost my faith. I think I, I mean, I probably would have been some underdeveloped um, sect of like existentialist when I was like 19 as every Mm -hmm. like, you know, full of themselves, self-actualizing young adult is. Um, But I don't know if I ever really like, um, 
I, you know, I turned your back on the faith. I, I didn't. I, I needed yeah. to figure. I needed to. I needed to discover reasons. I couldn't. I mean, the problems with most people's faith, I believe, whether you're they have a faith in atheism or you have faith in theism, is that you have it is based solely on emotional effect that has been done to you and the emotional effect you get from it. And that is not, that is a, a faulty way to, um, to, that emotion is a very uh, ignorant way to base your eternity of existence <laughs> because, you know, emotion is, you know, like well, blown by the waves of the right, sea, you know? Right, right. Um, so yeah. And so I had, so the, the faith that my parents raised me in what they did, the, mo- the greatest thing they did right was that I didn't feel wrong to, to reason through things. Hmm. Um, they gave me a love of reading and they prayed for the spirits be with me. And then my love of reading took me to a place where I could finally understand God. I experienced him through the forgiveness that Paul showed me when, uh, on March 3rd, 2012, when I wanted to get sober. And so I had an, ex- an emotional experience, experience with, with, with the spirit that then compounded with the way my parents raised me, the love for reading and a way to figure it out. I could go through and see this, this all powerful, this omnipotent God. I could see him on a beach and this omnipresent God, this all knowing, uh, all, all, all existing God. I could, I could see him now with my, and experience him with my wife and my son. And when we laugh and this omniscient God, I can experience him when I look at, when I, when I, indulge in my love, which is my love of, of reading through history and reading through philosophy and theology. Mm-hmm. And I can find his all knowledge in everything. His imprint there uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, and, and those are, those are fruits that came, that have been passed down from my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and Absolutely. those, that's, that, that, uh, out, that, that, uh, as, as Anna Moss says, that bats last love, you know, that love bats last. Um, mm-hmm. it certainly didn't bat and have a good uh, batting average, you know, in the years of oh, eight, right. nine, ten, eleven, 10, 11, you know, <laughs> but like, it, right. uh, it batted last. Right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's all, I've always said as parents, all I'm doing is reminding, reminding, um, impressing upon them just. Again, their identity and who they truly belong to and who's the, who's they are. Mm-hmm. Um, that all I'm here for is hopefully to guide them and instruct and help and be there to love and mm-hmm. uh, help them. Again, r- train them up in the way that they should go. Mm-hmm. That hopefully they won't turn from that. Or if you know, God forbid, they do, mm-hmm. they know the. the, the the path back to it. Oh, Paul right. paraphrases the verse right. you read of Proverbs, bringing up an instruction of the Lord. I mean, he's, right. he's quoting right. Proverbs right. there. Right. You know, right. he's quoting a very smart guy. Right. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> yeah. so. Knew a thing or two about raising kids. Absolutely. Great questions. Those are, those are good. Yeah. I've never, I never, I get asked them. I mean, I'll probably get asked those questions, you know, five times this weekend. And, um, <laughs> like I did last weekend and the weekend before, right. but, um, I thought it, it's nice that we did this cause it, it's like puts it on the record a little bit, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, you know, you and, push uh, to, yeah. The next time these questions come in the atrium. Oh, uh, yeah. Just Chuck, listen to Chuck uh, episode. Chuck episode 12. <laughs> yeah. I already covered it there. This is the last it's time hilarious. I'm going I'm over done this with stuff. It. I'm moving I'm on. Done with it. Yeah. I'm done with it. Yeah, good stuff. That's a good, good, uh, good conversation. And uh, for those of you listening, if you're um, if you're raising kids, um, don't screw it up because it's on you. It's not the kids' <laughs> fault. They're your right. responsibility. Um, so well, words of yeah, wisdom. Don't screw it up. <laughs> don't screw it. Stakes are high, as I've said before here. Um, but. Uh, it's very simple. Pray for the Spirit and bring them up Absolutely. in instruction of the Lord. And uh, He was their kids before He was; he, they were your kids. And uh, and uh, put your faith in that. We'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.